the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. It's always an honor. Today is Tuesday, February the 27th, 2024, in the year of our Lord. In 1807, poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was born in Portland, Maine. Today in 1922, the Supreme Court in Lesser v. Garnett unanimously upheld the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, which guaranteed the right of women to vote. Today, in 1933, Germany's parliament building, the Reichstag, was gutted by fire. Chancellor Adolf Hitler blamed the communists. He said they used the fire to justify suspending civil liberties. That sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Today, in 1942, the Battle of the Java Sea began during World War II. Imperial Japanese naval forces scored a decisive victory over the Allies. Today, in 1951... The 22nd Amendment to the Constitution limited a president to two terms of office. It was ratified. Today in 1991, Operation Desert Storm came to a conclusion. President George H.W. Bush declared that Kuwait is liberated, Iraq's army is defeated, and he announced that the Allies would suspend combat operations at midnight Eastern Time. And today in 1997... Divorce became legal in Ireland. They had resisted divorce for quite some time. It became legal. Things that, and I'm not, I understand divorces. I've been in the ministry my entire adult life, and I understand that, you know, things happen. I do. But man, the easier we make it for divorce and separation it's just a choice well you know i've fallen out of love with my husband or my wife and you know when the motives to work it out are removed the marriage begins to disintegrate and when the marriage begins to disintegrate the family disintegrates and when the family disintegrates the nation the culture Disintegrates, And that's what we're experiencing here in America today, I believe. I believe it's not only about marriage, but certainly that's a part of it that we're seeing happening, happening in our own country right now. I want to talk to you a little bit today about a sleepy church. And I think you'll find this interesting. I hope you do. Stay with me. Um, the church is kind of asleep. Too much of the church. Now, let me say I've been reporting regularly on this program that there are revivals and spiritual awakenings happening all across the country on campuses, um, university campuses in particular, and um, it's not being reported hardly at all. There are some Christian-based or conservative-based websites that are reporting on it, but thousands of kids are, are setting aside schedules and even class time which 
you know, you say, well, you know, whatever, I'll go to a prayer meeting to get out of going to class. But these kids are paying or their parents or somebody's paying for their 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 school and so on. But they get they're drawn into this and they're they're crying out to God and they're asking God to 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 forgive them of their sins and to to give them a, a better way and to show them the way. And kids that are Christians are renewing their faith and renewing that commitment to the Lord, and it's happening. I mean, it isn't just a few somewhere isolated. It's everywhere, and uh, not everywhere, but I mean, it's all over the country. It's not in one part of the country, and it, kids, it, I mean, they'll have a, like there was a meeting at, at uh, one of the universities recently, and I can't remember for sure which one because I'm reading about a lot of them, but they were expecting, they were hoping for, kind of praying for, you know, 250 to 500 kids to show up, uh, students to show up. It was it was uh, approved, and they were going to have a, a just some worship, and a couple of people were going to. One of them was a professor. We're going to to talk and about the Lord, and it was it was defined what it was going to be. I mean, it was just a Christian meeting, and the school didn't have any problem with it. I think it might have been at Auburn, and the school didn't have any problem with it. Yeah, you're approved. You can do this and so on. Well, they had over 5,000 kids show up and students, They were and they knew what they were going to. It wasn't hyped as one thing, and then it was something else. They said it's going to be like worship and, and some teaching from the Bible. And these kids showed up, and they spent the night there, and they ended up at a pond on campus somewhere. There's a little lake on campus, apparently. And they, they ended up out there baptizing kids that had accepted Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. And so these kinds of things are happening. But I'm talking about more the institutional church, and there are exceptions. There are institutional churches that are really speaking to the culture today and to sin, and for righteousness. I mean, they're like telling it like it is. And they are doing this. And there are some very large churches that have grown up in the last few years that are speaking truth to the issues. Not, not in place of the gospel, but when you preach the gospel to the culture, you will be talking about what's happening in everyday lives. And the people sitting in the pews are experiencing what the pastor should know, or the preacher should know, is happening in their world. And our world today is very chaotic, and it is very tentative. There's not a sense of security in our culture today. And yes, people should be turning their attention for security to the Lord, to the rock, not to the state. But the church has got to be the leader. I mean, we have a moral crisis in our country. You can attach morality to every issue that we have in America today, regardless of what it is. I mean, tr the transgenderism, the LGBTQ, the alphabet, sex, as they're starting to call it now, I mean, all of this stuff is related to morality. It's related to righteousness. It's related to God's word. Everything that's happening in our world today, there is peace, there is solace, there is uh, challenge, there is uh, every part of the human experience is in the word of God. And as you preach the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
and that Jesus is the only way to God, then you begin as a knife, as a sword, to cut into the culture. And they go, wait a minute. Now, I wanted to hear five ways to make me a happy boy or a happy girl or whatever, or a happy transgender or whatever. Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, it, it does. There's The Bible tells us how to be happy. I mean, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the Bible cuts to the issues with truth. And truth is what sets us free. And truth is, was, is Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the sleepy church today. Because when you cut into the culture and you begin to speak the truth to the issues, God's truth, there is resistance. There are those who are not happy with that message. Some of those are in power, and they try to take steps to curb this and put aside this disruption in the culture. I understand why pastors are silent sometimes. I never was, but I understand because it does bring resistance. And sometimes you think, I've got a family to support. I've got, you know, this, this, and this. I have life and so on. I understand that. But I also understand there's a higher calling. And that higher calling is to speak the truth in the darkness. And we're at a time where we must speak the truth in darkness. And the church, too many churches are taking a nap. They're dozing off. There's a sign or a little thing out there floating around on the Internet. And I, I rarely ever quote the Internet because there's everything under the earth out there. But this thing said, some guy put it up on there. Look, he had a lot of uh, responses to it. I can't remember even, I think it was X or, I don't know, Facebook, something. I just happened to see it. It says, you've, you may have seen it. It says, Bud Light has dropped to 14th in America. Sound of Freedom just hit 100 million at the box office. Just hit uh, 100 million at the box office. Try That in a Small Town is the number one song on iTunes. Disney lost 900 million plus on their last eight releases. The silent majority is real. It is real. And there is a growing number of people in our culture today who understand that we are on the precipice of some very, very um, difficult times socially and morally in our country. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16, the Bible says, Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest. This is Jesus talking to the seven churches. This church in particular, and we'll come back to that in a moment. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Revelation, I was referring to Revelation a moment ago, excuse me. <clears throat> but this is the, the time, this is the place for us to awaken. And I'll come back to Revelation and the church in Sardis in a few moments. But let's talk a little bit about our culture and the church in our culture today. 
A journalist who covers faith and religion is describing how she stumbled into an eye-opening story. Some big names among Trump-hating evangelicals used left-wing sources to fund their Bible study intended to put the church to sleep. Megan Basham, she uh, writes for the Daily Wire. She also writes for First Things, a column there. She had her curiosity peaked when she was reading a new Tim Alberta book. If you haven't seen this, if you go to Costco or anywhere, it's going to be in your face. It's everywhere. They're really promoting it because the secular left and the Christian left like the book. They like the message of the book. Well, this Megan Basham, she was flipping through the pages. She discovered a Bible study entitled The After Party Toward Better Christian Politics, which is praised in the evangelical bashing book. New York Times columnist David French, Russell Moore of Christianity Today, and Duke Divinity Professor Curtis Chang, they're all leftists. They created that this uh, forthcoming Bible study. Now, secular news outlets from NPR to the New York Times are hailing Tim Alberta's book, of course. It's called, and it would catch any Christian's attention, the book is called The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory. It's furthering this popular thesis that evangelicals have abandoned themselves in political idolatry because we have become involved in the culture. In First Things, Megan writes, by political idolatry, they mean political conservatism. As neither Alberta's book nor the many prestige outlets enthusing over it have a word of criticism for Christians who advance the left-wing causes. They like that. However, a curious passage in the book, she said, suggests those leveling this charge must may be most guilty of infecting the church with partisanship. In other words, they are raising the issue, and they are saying that anyone who is actively involved in politics who has a, a conservative or a biblical worldview are are worshiping their in idolatry but the people who oppose that and have equal but opposite views theologically and spiritually they're the good guys and they're using an issue and this this is kind of a reverse issue and they, they do this all the time the left and particularly the press and that's what they're doing with this and uh, Alberta reports that the the, the After Party is a program that offers pastors and small groups. It's talked about in this book. It's introduced in this book. And it's, it's not available yet, but it's soon to be available. They're going to be releasing it just in, in a matter of days or weeks. But Alberta, the author of the book, he uh, reports that the After Party is a program that offers pastors and small groups a curriculum reframing Christian political identity from today's divisive partisan uh, options. There's a pro-life Democrat among this group. This It's Chang. And he blamed the American church back in January 6th uh, of last year. He For the January 6th riot, he said that he said the church owns what happened at the Capitol. Why? Because the church has inserted itself into politics. So we own it. 
He urged California voters to oppose the recall of Governor Gavin Newsom. He leveraged his Christian platform to argue against religious exemptions from vaccine mandates, running the website Christians and the Vaccine. And he distributed videos that described the jab as a redemption of aborted cell lines. And all while all of this, while, while acting as a paid consultant for federal health agencies, he was making money off people getting the vaccination while he was running this, this operation within the churches to get people to get the vaccine. I mean, follow the money. I don't know. I'm not sure who said that first, but boy, it's true. It's so true. He's not the only one. The other three, it's a it's a tri- triangle of, of the same kind of thinking. Basham continues, according to Alberta, during his germination phase, the project hit a roadblock, this book. They had to get it out. Evangelical donors didn't have interest in it. They didn't want to fund the explicitly political Bible study, probably as well as that it leaned left, but conservatives just didn't want to fund it, people, philanthropists, and so on. So to get the after party off the ground, the after party is the Bible study that's going to be uh, uh, made available to churches all across the country in just a few days or at most a couple of weeks. So in order to get this done and get it off the ground, this trio of guys, all frequent critics of, of evangelicals, and they use the definition of who voted for Trump. There are biblical evangelicals who didn't and don't vote for Trump as well, but most did because of the, all the reasons that we know. Anyway, they turned, when they couldn't get the money within the Christian or conservative community, they turned to the predominantly progressive unbelievers who fund such things. They turned to secular left-wing foundations to put this together. It's called the After Party Toward Better Christian Politics. It will be offered to your church soon. Basham says Alberta's book offers no details about the funding of the project, but she said just a little bit of sleuthing on the Internet reveals that in May of 2022, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors announced that the after party would be one of the 32 beneficiaries of their new pluralist project that they were investing $10 million into. If the money was divided evenly, and she doesn't know for sure, and nobody knows exactly, I suppose, how much money went to whom, but if the money were divided evenly, it would cover more than the entire cost of the $250,000 budget that Chang said he needed, and that Chang's umbrella organization, which is called Redeeming Babel, which is behind the after party, would need. So while Chang and company claim their program isn't focused on parties or policies, the Rockefeller announcement noted it would launch in the battleground state of Ohio. What are they thinking? Well, they're thinking political. The very thing that they are trying to just attack the right on and Christians who speak out and are not silent on their views is exactly what they're doing. So often, that's the way evil manifests itself. 
in our world from the very beginning Satan approached humanity Eve and presented himself as an angel of light when he's the agent of darkness and evil and this is a pattern that I've seen throughout my life in, a, in just through of living and in the culture and in the ministry Rockefeller's interest in bankrolling Bible studies should be a red flag to anybody. In the same grant round, they funded a group same the same day, the same operation. They funded a group seeking to promote the leadership of rural LGBTQ plus people because rural communities are underserved on the LGBTQIA blah, blah, blah agenda. Another part of that one grant was committed to quote, keeping the remaining fossil fuel resources in the ground in the name of climate justice. In 2019, the after-parties benefactor gave $100 million to the Collaborative for Gender and Reproductive Equity. This initiative funds efforts to safeguard abortion, ensure youth have access to gender-affirming care, full accounting of of all Rockefeller guarantees committed to furthering hard left causes would require a book probably longer than Alberta's book about the kingdom, supposedly. The sleeping church I want to talk to you about, I mentioned the message in Revelation a few moments ago as I was reading from Ephesians 5. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the Bible identifies the church in Sardis, quoting Jesus in the Revelation. Sardis was once a powerful city. It was established around 1200 BC. It was wealthy and strong. It was situated on a cliff. It was making it, it made it a very strongly defensible city. Because of the city's great military position, the Greeks had a saying. They said, somebody would say, well, let's do this. And they would say, oh man, that's impossible. It's, that would be like capturing Sardis. Capturing Sardis was a phrase that was used to communicate or to identify something that was impossible to do. Capturing Sardis, nobody can do that. Although it appeared to be impregnable due to its superior military position on this hill, it was captured several times during history because the watchman, the watchman of Sardis neglected to guard the gate. They thought they were so secure they didn't need a guard at the gate. It was it was once a prominent, powerful city, but at the time Jesus spoke to the church in Revelation, it was a shadow of its former self. It was living off the prosperity of prior years. As the church goes, so goes the culture. Jesus begins his rebuke to Sardis. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the seven stars are representative of the seven churches. In the vision of Revelation 1, Jesus is seen holding the seven stars in his right hand. He is one who has control and authority over all the churches. Jesus reminds the church of his sovereignty over the affairs of the church of Sardis. In these verses... Jesus is speaking to this sleeping, almost completely dead church who really thought they were invincible because they 
they had been. They were. They had the position. They were on the hill. They had guards that didn't even watch the gate. I mean, why watch the gate? Nobody's going to penetrate us. But it's almost a completely dead church by this time that Jesus is speaking to that church. He's reminding them that it is only the Holy Spirit who can wake them up from their spiritual slumber. There's nothing else that can do that. And as today where we are in our culture, and these kids are experiencing this on campuses around our country, but the churches, I mean, they keep talking about the churches are losing parishioners and so on, and, and I guess they are. And, and if so, and to the degree that they are, it's because of this deadness. I mean, when Jesus says to the church, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive. You are the church, but you're not. He says, you're dead. Because you're not just doing works, but you have to be alive in the spirit. The spirit is what changes the culture. The church of Sardis was like the city of Sardis. I've said so often on this program and throughout my life of preaching from pulpits and wherever, the culture follows the church. And someone would say, oh, the church, you're overrating the churches, Gary. Well, I am if the churches are dead. But if a church is alive... If you go back and look at the history of this nation, it was pastors and evangelists and preachers that were speaking in the the truth to darkness that brought about a, a awakening in America that gave people the courage to declare their independence and write the Declaration of Independence and fight a war that nobody thought they could win. Fighting Great Britain was like trying to fight Sardis in its day. But the church of Sardis was like the city of Sardis. It was once powerful. Now it was living off the fruitfulness of ages past. They have the reputation of being Christians, but their Christianity was in name only. They they were nominal believers because their church was indistinguishable from the world. I believe this reflects the condition of too many churches in America today, and it parallels the condition of our nation today. A nation founded upon biblical Judeo-Christian principles and truth now has become cold and indifferent toward godly issues like the sanctity of life, like marriage, like family, the very institutional building blocks that God put in place when he created us in his image and in his likeness. And the Great Commission. Do we really believe the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Salvation only through Jesus Christ. I hear the Oprah Winfrey's and the Barack Obama's running around the country with great influence saying, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if Jesus Christ is the only way. Are are you suggesting that Jesus would send all of the other religions, the Muslims and the Hindu and the Buddhists to hell if they don't accept him as the only way? Yes, actually we are, because that's what the Bible says. And that's why they need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where is that fervor? May the church awaken and arise. The gates of hell are knocking on the door of the church in the hearts and minds of the parishioners. And this example of this new Bible study that's coming out is one of those. If we work so hard as a church at becoming relevant to the culture, 
we will end up becoming irrelevant to the culture. We need to understand who we are, and we need to stand up and speak the truth of God to a culture that is deeply in trouble. Hey, thanks for being with me today. Always a pleasure. Thank you for your support. We need it. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.